Welcome to Let's Talk About Trauma. I'm your host, Kayla Meredith. As a trauma survivor myself, I really wanted to create a space where together we could talk about all things related to trauma. So what you'll find here are conversations that talk about the impacts of trauma, educational points on trauma and trauma healing, but also conversations that talk to people who are sharing their lived experience with it and how they're currently navigating through it. It's important to note that once you listen, you automatically become part of the fam. So thank you so much for being here. Connection, honesty, and realness really are at the heart of what I do. If you enjoy this episode today and would like to further support, please subscribe and head on over to the reviews to comment and say hello. To work with me or learn more about what I do, you can find me by searching at Kayla Meredith or the Move to Heal Project on Instagram and TikTok. Or you can click the link below to learn more. On April 16th, 2018, 16 people were killed and 13 were injured when a semi-trailer struck a coach bus carrying a junior ice hockey team. The entire country mourned with many Canadians paying respects to the Humboldt crash victims by leaving hockey sticks outside their front door. The crash left Ryan Strasnitsky with a life-altering spinal cord injury, and today I sit down with him to speak to him not only about the crash, but also about healing in the wake of what's happened. Honestly, Ryan is one of the nicest guys I've ever met, and his outlook on life, despite what he's experienced, is not only a huge indication of his character, but a reminder that no matter what trauma you've experienced, there is always hope, and there is always a way forward. Welcome to the podcast, Thank Ryan. You. Thanks for having me. A place where we might begin, and it sounds very cheesy, it's very first day of school, icebreaker mm. questions. <laughs> I'm curious to know what your favorite color is. Do you like books or podcasts? What gets you passionate about life or and or we could talk about sports teams as well. Yeah, I'm open to all that. Uh, I guess I'll start with my favorite color. It's uh, royal blue. Uh, right now, I'm currently reading a book on some kind of psychology books on how to implement that into your life and hopefully come out more successful than you were before and learn a lot about yourself. Uh, I do listen to podcasts, a mix of both like motivational and comedic podcasts, just to kind of lighten the mood and have something on in the background when you do things. A lot of things that I'm passionate about, uh, obviously sports is number one, but getting out and experiencing life in any capacity. So uh, whether that's going out trying new things or doing something that you enjoy or like all those things so uh, a lot of things about life that I have yet to experience but hopefully I can expand that what's your favorite motivational or funny podcast I'm so curious I try to listen to an episode one podcast episode a day just to get my brain moving so that more motivational informative podcast is the Jocko Willink podcast. He's a former uh, Navy SEAL, uh, very, very motivational guy and uh, comedic podcast. There's two, actually, there's two bears, one K with uh, Tom Segura and Bert Kreischer. And then the other one's called uh, bad friends with Bobby Lee and Andrew Santino. So pretty, pretty funny guys. I just like to listen to them. I've heard of the second one before, but I've never listened to it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. Also, I'm a really big fan of uh, David Goggins. I don't mm. know if you've heard of him. Yeah. Whenever I'm having a tricky day or an off day, I always YouTube David Goggins. He's so good. 
Yeah. I I think he as well was a former Navy SEAL. Yep. Also, the reason why I ask these questions is to create context. I think it humanizes people a little more, especially when we're talking about big topics. Anything else that you want to share about yourself before we before we navigate into um, into story into sharing? I think that's pretty much it. I, that's a lot. I'm not a very you know. I wouldn't say I have a ton of fun facts about me, but um, I guess those are some icebreaker questions that some people might not know. Yes, thank you so much for sharing. And I, I don't think I said this before, or I said this before we started recording, but thank you so much for, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks again. Why don't we start here? If you could tell us a little bit about how you started, like how you got into hockey. Uh, my dad's a crazy diehard Calgary Flames fan, and he loved hockey. So when I was about four years old, he uh, wanted me to start playing. So at the age of four, I started skating around at local hockey rinks, outdoor rinks, and um, over time fell more in love with the game. And from there, uh, you know, my dad's kind of been that main pillar in my life that uh, has supported me throughout hockey and has made a lot of sacrifices so that I could play. And um, that's essentially what got me into the sport. How many years did you play before you started playing for Humboldt? That would have been about 12 years. So I, would have, I just turned 18 and uh, was starting junior hockey. So yeah, 12 years. As a, an aside but connected question about hockey, I have a few people in my life that are also really passionate about this sport. And I'm a passionate person myself. And I always want to ask the question of like, is it the feeling that keeps you in hockey? Like is is, is there a feeling that keeps bringing you back or is it uh, sharpening your skill set or a combination of both? Is it the community? It's, it's such a mix of everything. I think being a young Canadian wanting to play hockey and, you know, I think it's just born in our culture. I think it's almost innate in all of us that, uh, you know, if you start hockey young, it's part of your nature and it always draws you back no matter know where you are how old you are what gender you are whatever the case right you're always going to be attached to something that you're kind of born with and for me that hockey had been such a huge part of my life I learned a lot both on and off the ice and uh, the good and bad memories kind of make up my entire character so I, I knew I couldn't leave hockey behind. I definitely agree with you especially in growing up in Canada in reflecting back on my childhood, I didn't play hockey, but as I just mentioned, there's people that are in my family, my close friend group that grew up playing to hockey or a lot of my exes played hockey. <laughs> so we'd go and cheer at games and it, it is, it really is woven into, into being Canadian. And I also think that's why the news of Humboldt really shook a lot of people Mm -hmm. um, because of how we identify and how we grew up and how we supported each other via this sport. So I guess maybe to navigate further into you playing for Humboldt, you started playing for them when you were 18. Yeah. And was that in 2017? 2017, yes. So what would a typical day look like playing for the team or practicing and or daily life? So normally uh, on like a practice day where there's no games that night, I uh, get up early, go get to the rink around 8 a.m. 
uh, have your practice for an hour and a half, uh, get off the ice, go for breakfast, maybe hang out at your billets, or maybe there's a team workout after that. And then you kind of have the rest of the day off. So you get to hang out with your, your teammates and, and do whatever. But normally on a, on a game day, same thing, early morning practice, kind of a lighter skate. Um, you get to hear, see the lineup, depending if you're in Humboldt that night to play or you're going to an opposing city or schedule kind of changes because sometimes you have to get on the bus earlier than normal but essentially the same thing you, you go for breakfast go back to your billet house do what you need to do to prepare and then off to the rink either to play in Humboldt or pack your bags and head to the opposing team city what's a billet house oh okay yeah so a billet house is essentially a second family so a lot of people who are playing away from their hometown don't get to live at home so they live with what's called a billet family which uh, they take in hockey players and essentially you know feed them take care of them like it's like a second family and can you explain this for me because I don't know that I know the in-depthness of the levels of hockey where would Humboldt fall in terms of like there's triple mm, I don't want to even yeah. try but where can you explain the levels of of hockey for me yeah. specifically, like I'm making this about myself and like possibly for anyone else that's listening that, that doesn't, that isn't aware. So essentially your minor hockey ends uh, at a level called midget. So that's for typically 15 to 17 year olds. And in each division you can play tier hockey, double A or triple A and triple A would be the highest level you can play at for that age group. Um, after you're done minor hockey at the midget division, you can move in, into junior hockey, which is uh, anywhere from 16 to 20 to 21 year olds. There's junior C level, there's junior B level, then there's junior A. And then uh, I guess above that would be major junior. So anyone in the OHL, the QMJHL, the WHL, um, kind of top tier leagues that way. There's a lot of rules behind different levels. So at the junior A level, you can go play university hockey down in the States. Um, but if you play major junior, so the WHL, OHL, QMJHL, you won't be able to play university hockey in the States. So there's, there's a lot of uh, pathways to go to get your, you know, where you want to go in life, whether that's getting your school paid for or pro hockey, uh, kind of all depends where you play, but uh, junior A is, you know, anywhere from 16 to 21 year olds. So essentially, so I understand it's an either or type thing where you're either getting your school paid for, or you're trying to go pro. Yeah, pretty much. Like it's, it's the, I guess major junior is the faster way to pro hockey, but if you play junior A, you have a longer, more developed uh, pathway. And do you get scouted for both things for school and pro, or do you just get scouted for pro like, to progress? For the- yeah, both. Like uh, depending on how good you are, obviously um, you can get scouted by pro teams, but uh, if you're still really developing your game, then you'll probably get scouted by the lower level teams. It sounds super intimidating. A little bit, sometimes. Or it sounds really intimidating, but I also think, of course, with any sport, there is that camaraderie and sense of community that would probably lighten the pressure a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So in regards to Day in the Life of Humble leading up to the day of the accident, I just want to be like really mindful with how I ask these questions. Um, how would you like me to ask the question about the day of the accident or like, what is the most accessible way to ask that question? I mean, I kind of bring it up. Like I, from my experience, uh, everything that happened that day was, uh, a normal, normal game day. Like I mentioned before, you get up early, have a morning skate, 
uh, go have breakfast with the team, go back to your billets and get prepared. And on that day, uh, we were playing in Nipawin, which is about, I think, two hours away from Humboldt. And so we all loaded our bags, got onto the bus and headed towards the opposing team city. Now, normally when you're about 20 to 30 minutes outside of the opposing team's uh, arena, right, you put on your dress clothes and get prepared. So we had all put on our dress clothes and we're about 20 minutes outside of Nipawin when all of a sudden I heard a scream from the front of the bus and you know, I peeked my head down the aisle and the bus driver was like, he screamed and looked to his right. So naturally I looked to my right as well and there was a semi truck coming and uh, the last thing I remember is just, you know, complete blackness. After the complete blackness, what did the next few moments look like? Was there a loss of time? Was there an understanding of what had happened? Or was it more of like you come to and are not really sure of where you are? Or what what did that look like? Kind of a mix of everything. It's it's almost like when you when you fall asleep and you don't dream, but you wake up the next day. So um you know, I think that was just obviously your body like protecting itself. So it shut down and I'm not sure how long after I woke up, but just witnessing the mayhem, you're trying to wrap your head around what just happened. And in those moments, all I could think was kind of get up, right. And whatever I was laying down, I was like, all right, just get up. And I couldn't move. So I thought I was stuck under something and I go to like move whatever's on top of my legs and there's nothing there. So instantly, obviously on top of everything else that just happened, I knew something else was wrong. So um, you know, it almost just didn't feel real. It, it felt like, you know, this is a dream or something, right? Like this, it can't be happening. So, um, in those moments where I'm trying to get up and I can't move, all I can kind of do is wait. So uh, I'm not sure how long I waited for, but the ambulance came by and, uh, loaded me up. How much longer after the incident was there that full understanding of what had happened? Uh, was it like a day, a week, a month? Probably a few days. Uh, I remember being, you know, flown all over the place to different hospitals for, for spinal cord surgery. And I remember the entire time I'm just trying to ask, like, what happened, right? Like, what's going on? What happened? And they won't really tell me anything because there's just so much going on. So uh, probably, I don't know, say a few days after my surgery, I'm in the hospital bed and I found out everything that happened. And it just kind of didn't seem real once again. I imagine that there would possibly be a delay in maybe mentioning what had happened or the mentioning the immensity of what had happened yeah. because of how that might affect your recovery. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think on top of being told you might never walk again, right? Like um, on, on top of that, I think that just wouldn't, you know, do anything. It'd just be adding fire to fire essentially. So yeah, I think uh, just a little bit of a buffer and time to kind of slowly understand what happened. Before I share a response, I also want to say, again, thank you so much for taking the time to share about this. I recognize how challenging it is to speak out on tragedies like this. Mm -hmm. And I just, I really want to thank you for trusting me to, to talk to me and share just really want to acknowledge that before I continue forward with some thoughts. No problem. As someone who scrolled through the news, so this was back, I think it was in April, correct, of uh, 2018. It was super shocking and also horrifying to read, really. And I, I think just with what we were mentioning earlier about how hockey is so woven into our identities as Canadians. And mm. I remember that day going into work. 
I worked at a spin studio and we set out hockey sticks, which uh, I think a lot of Canadians did to show solidarity. And amidst all of that, I guess my mind was just thinking about the incredible amount of grief and loss that the community was feeling. And I'm not sure where I'm going with this point, but more so just to say as an outsider reading it, I felt it like in my, in the center of my heart, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And just thinking about the families navigating through the next few months, the next few years. In terms of recovery, going back, so you're in the hospital, you've been notified of the team, a large portion of of people in the team now are gone as a result of this accident. Mm-hmm. What were those next few months like in regards to recovery, I guess would be my question. And then also mentally. Yeah. I yes. know some, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I know some people like we all process grief and trauma differently. Some people are feeling it right away. Yeah. Some people are feeling it later. What, what did that look like for you? So I think physically in those first couple months uh, was, you know, learning how to use a wheelchair, trying to let my body heal to uh, learn how to live life in a chair, right? So essentially your arms are now your legs. So I had to move, learn to transfer from my chair to a bed or or learn to like roll over and, and dress myself again, right? Like all these little tiny things that I needed to learn in order to kind of survive today, right? And uh, mentally at the time, it was, it was difficult, right? Like um, trying to sit up and balance with no core muscles is, is super tough. So uh, imagine, you know, you're, you just turned 19 at the time and now you're trying to <clears throat> do these things that should be easy for anyone to do, but because of your injury, right now you're limited. So I guess I, I was so busy at the time too, with media and focusing on this, that I didn't really have time to interpret what had happened and re- truly embrace those emotions. But as time went on, right, it was about okay, I can get back on the ice. I can start getting busy with this. I can start doing more intense physio as the months went on. And same thing mentally, right? I was just so mentally distracted that I hadn't uh, took anything into consideration and and truly embraced those emotions or or talked about it at all. So uh, it was a long process and there's obviously been ups and downs, especially during that pandemic where nothing was going on and you had all the time in the world to think to yourself. And that's when, you know, that kind of hit, right? Like that's when I was so busy doing nothing that all I could think about was everything that had happened. Right. And what I could do now. So uh, it's been a roller coaster, but both both mentally and physically, I'm doing a lot better now and going to keep, you know, maintaining this, this path. I was thinking about the pandemic and thinking about all that space and was Mm -hmm. wondering if there were moments where the memories like got stronger or it felt a little bit harder mentally, especially in regards to the isolation piece. Yeah. You know, before the pandemic, I was so busy traveling, being surrounded by every person ever and, and friends and doing things, not worrying about anything, right? I was so distracted that now I'm in a period of isolation where, you know, I never since the accident hadn't really been alone or hadn't really never not been doing anything. So uh, what that meant when my first couple months looked like was, um, you know, Netflix, video games, getting out of bed late, essentially just being very lazy, something that I'm not used to. So um, you know, I built up these habits that just weren't healthy and came a point in the pandemic where I'm like, okay, well, you know, I need to do something right. If when this pandemic is over, am I going to be farther behind than when I, the pandemic started or do I want to get ahead? So that's like, I kind of went through this whole mental shift of, of changing every habit and pushing myself to, you know, 
understand that, okay, this, this isn't how I want life to dictate where I'm going, right? I want to dictate where my life is going. I don't want it to be the other way around. So what that meant was working out again was, you know, reading, starting to read books, starting to listen to podcasts, play guitar, you know, do all these little things that I hadn't had the chance to do before. Right. So in my busy 18 years of life, it was hockey, it was training, it was hanging with friends, doing all these things. But now that I'm alone, right. It's like, okay, what other things can I do besides those things? Right. Now is the opportunity to, again, pick up guitar, try reading, right. The, the limit is, uh, is endless. Right. So, uh, essentially, it's just seeing where your potential can be and to always strive for it every day. I have questions. Yeah, give her. I have questions about the sledge hockey piece, like getting mm-hmm. back out onto the ice. Or I also have questions about the other team members. I didn't read too in-depth into the article at the time because it felt like a lot of, a lot of news from every right. angle. Um, yeah. Which question would you like to answer first? <laughs> Well, for for going in order, I would say probably the post accident, then the sledge hockey, and then the last motivational piece. So I guess my question would be: post crash, how many did survive the accident? What was it? Just you? Were there other survivors as well? There were thirteen other survivors, four, and I guess I guess you would describe it as critical condition. Um, two of us ended up in wheelchairs, uh, for spinal cord injuries, and then two ended up with. Uh, pretty bad uh, brain damage. So post-crash, being a few years out now, has your relationship with those other team members changed or shifted? Do you still keep in contact with them? Has your relationship with them contributed to your healing? I guess I'm just curious um, which way it's gone. You know, like sometimes there's so much pain there that people just decide to not continue forward in the relationship. Yeah, I think it was sort of mixed. Um, I think some of us needed each other to lean on because no one else experienced it except us. So we needed to, you know, find a therapeutic way to to talk about it and be there for each other. And um, obviously those for that first, you know, two years is tough. And we made sure we were there for everyone, made sure everything was, was going good. But then everyone, we kind of disperse, right? We all play hockey or we all do our own thing. We all go to school or work. And um, I think naturally with time, right, you learn to always know that there's someone there, but you don't always have to lean on them every day, right? So it's something that a bond that'll kind of keep us together forever, but we don't often keep in touch, you know, maybe not as much as I would like, but, you know, we're, we're all there for each other at the end of the day, but uh, we've all kind of gone our separate ways. In regards to processing grief of that magnitude, um, may I ask this question about survivors and then how many people passed? Uh, there's 16. 16, okay. Do you find now, a few years later, that you have a way of honoring them or have a way that you re- remember them? Or is that possibly like because you continue to play hockey, is that how you remember them. And I'm, I'm asking this question via my own lens in a very much, in a very different capacity of like having friends close to mm-hmm. me pass. And it, it kind of looks a little bit different for each friend. And of course, each instance as well. But like I said before, with the large magnitude of what happens and it happening all at once, mm-hmm. What has that processing looked like or remembering look like, I guess? (laughs) I guess you're right, right? Everyone wants to honor their legacy and carry 
the I guess what they left behind, right? You want them that to last on, and, and you always want to remember them in any capacity. And uh, I think for me personally, uh, through the power of sport and you know trying to inspire and motivate others, and essentially make a good name for myself and the Broncos and everyone that passed away, um, you know everyone who was affected that day, I think honors their legacy in a different way. So, for example. Um, someone might be working super hard towards bettering someone, you know, again, going through trauma or going through something similar where they have lost someone. So now there's a help and support group. There's a, a teammate of mine who, who, who survived, who's a huge mental health advocate and he's doing great things. He's created his own brand and he's just, he's a great guy, inspirational guy. And uh, same thing with everyone, everyone has their own way of coping with it, but I think in any capacity, regardless if it's in the media or not, we always try to honor their legacy and in that we, um, you know, push ourselves to be the best version of ourselves as well. Is survivor's guilt something that's ever come up for you or not? Like it's, it's one of those things where I think maybe for some, uh, personally, I, I haven't felt it. So um, obviously in this situation, there's nothing I could have done to change the outcome that day. So there's not as much survivor's guilt in that sense. But as far as, you know, questioning yourself why or what if, or, you know, that does come up quite a bit. So it's important to, again, lean on your your teammates and, and talk to them, right? Because, right, the way you think could be different from the way they think, and they could have a different perspective to help you get through certain times like that. Yes. And on that notion, I think another question that I'd like to ask is, is kind of around support systems, because it sounds to me as a listener that, that you've had a really solid system of humans behind you. I don't know. It, it just sounds like you have a really strong inner dialogue that you've developed or that you can come back to. And I think it might be useful for a lot of people to listen to this because I think that's that's where the challenge is for a lot of humans is things can get really, really, really dark. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that, you know, that don't have that developed inner dialogue or there's no one in their life that um, mm-hmm. models that for them. And that's maybe where they get stuck like in their healing process. So I'm curious to know is that strength that you're showing, is that something that you've always felt that you had like internally or is, were your parents a big part of um, your healing or was it that like community mindset that you learned through hockey that kind of carried through to this side? Uh, I think my mindset has developed, I think again, over the course of hockey, um, I wouldn't say it's hardened me, but it, it's allowed me to be both mentally and physically tough. Um, you know, obviously no one's super superman and can handle everything so i think in the sense that going touching on your inner dialogue uh statement i think it's kind of a dichotomy right it's important to have that in order to push yourself and you know um allow yourself to be the best version of yourself but at the same time if you let it get to the best of you um right you're right it could lead to very very dark thoughts and uh, that's important to kind of organize that right you can't um, you can't be too hard on yourself, but you also can't be too lenient. Otherwise, you're going to be stagnant and not really uh, advance in life. So uh, as far as the inner dialogue goes, um, it's important to find balance. And, you know, sometimes you'll catch yourself off track, but it's about uh, recovering from that. So uh, from there, the inner dialogue moves to how you process things, your mindset on staying positive and staying strong. I would say 
I haven't always been a, a strong individual, but over the course of the people I've met and, you know, everything that I've experienced, uh, even, you know, pre-accident as well, I think has made me stronger as an individual. And I think that's a part of growing up. Um, just, I think, learning to handle life and adversity in a different perspective, I think, allows you to, to toughen up and learn from experience and realize that at the end of the day, um, you know, there's no point in, in getting hung up on the past, right? You can only focus on what you can do now and, and how you can advance for the future. I think you make a really good point in regards to trying to find that balance between processing an emotion and then not letting that emotion overtake you. And mm-hmm. I've noticed that myself on my own journey, I get really in my head and then I, I get stuck mm-hmm. here, like in the, just the, the emotion of it all. And then I'm not in action anymore. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. What, in whatever it is that they're navigating through grief or trauma, mm-hmm. I guess where my thoughts go are that developed sense of agency. Mm-hmm. And this is why I started the move to heal project. And I say move, meaning moving thoughts, and moving the body. There's a dual meaning there. And what I've noticed as you've been sharing is you keep coming back to uh, choice day to day, like what you can choose for yourself now, regardless of what has happened. And I think that's a really important message for other survivors of trauma to hear. Mm-hmm. It can be really easy, I think, in the wake of such helplessness, wherever that helplessness came from, to think that we don't have a choice anymore, to think that we can't influence an outcome. Mm -hmm. And so that's just what is sticking out for me and listening is your continuation of coming back to what you can choose, Mm. which bringing this to sledge hockey I'm so curious to know how soon you got into sledge hockey and where you like this journey to take you now. So this was about four months after the accident. I decided, you know, I want to get back on the ice. Um, Obviously, stand-up hockey isn't an option, uh, but sled hockey might be. So I got in touch with the right people. I set up a sled and there's a video on on my social media of me skating around for the first time. And um, I instantly fell in love with the game once again and um, from there, I was like, all right, let's see how far we can take this. So I'm going to try and go up the ranks to play for Team Canada someday and hopefully compete in my first ever sort of Paralympic Olympic experience and uh, try and win a gold medal. I think you'll win a gold medal. I hope so. For, for those that don't know what sledge hockey is, so it's like a sled on blades, right? Yeah. So with your spinal cord injury, you still have full usage of your arms? Yeah. Yes. And then in regards to your physical therapy process now, does sledge hockey help with the physical therapy? Like, is it an asset to the physical therapy? Or I guess, like, what does that look like? They both work. uh, They both coincide together, I guess. So uh, physio, I get stronger to be faster and better on the ice. But also, the more I'm on the ice, the better I can do with physio. So um, for example, for me not having any core muscles, when I get on the on the ice and in a slide, it, it you forces me to use whatever muscles I have in order to make up for the, lo- the lack of core muscles being used. So that carries over into physio, but then this, the things I do at physio for my upper body strength and shoulder health will help me have a long and, and uh, hopefully prosperous uh, sled hockey career. May I ask a, an additional question about, about physio? Mm-hmm. In regards to recovery, 
is taking a step again possible? How intensive are physical therapy days? Um, how often do you go to physical therapy? What does that look like? So each spinal cord injury is, is different. Everyone has their own level. So for example, the C level would be, you know, collarbone up or in that neck area. And that's usually where you see a lot of quadriplegics, people who can't use their arms and hands. Uh, down after below that is the T vertebrae. So anywhere from T1 down to your like T10, I believe, is like pretty much your entire torso. And then after that is the L level and each spinal cord injury is different, right? So depending on what vertebrae or part of the spinal cord was, was injured or, you know, whatever was severed, anything below that, you probably won't be able to use as well anyways. And the thing is, like, I've met people with the same injury as me who have limited arm function and hand control or who have more than I do, right? And it's it's all different because the spinal cord obviously is is attached to so many nerves, right? So uh, each injury is unique in itself. So uh, kind of all depends that way. And after hearing that I wouldn't have core muscles to use or might not be able to ever walk again, right? I was like, okay, maybe physiotherapy can help. And pretty much that is my only outlet to hopefully walk again someday. And how this started out was, you know, I was going about five days a week for two hours of, you know, trying to stand, put some, you know, weight bearing into my legs so that they don't get atrophied so that if I do have the chance to walk again someday that they would be usable. And so I've maintained this sort of routine where I would go in five days a week. And then uh, as I got stronger, as my schedule started getting more busy, it was down to like two, three days a week. And, you know, I just, it's the same thing, essentially trying to get that mind body connection going where hopefully you can start moving muscles again someday. And Again, with spinal cord injuries, it's all different depending on the severity of your injury. Uh, it could take you know, a few months to heal. It could take years. It could never happen at all. So um, it, each one's different, but all you can do is keep trying. I did want to ask as well, mm -hmm. in regards to continuing on as you heal mind body, is there a, a quote or a mantra that you come back to? I guess a, a secondary question to that could, could also be, do you feel better when you're in motion? Like, do you feel better when you're at physical therapy or on the ice? And mm. the reason why I'm asking this question is just for anyone else that's listening that might also have a spinal cord injury. And from my previous interview with my friend who has the quadriplegic injury, she just talked about how even on days where she's just standing in her, with her standing frame, she said that she noticed a difference in her mood. So that's, that's kind of the roots as to why I'm asking those questions. Just, I'm just out of curiosity. Yeah. I think any sort of movement in physical exercise, it doesn't have to be an intense workout, but just getting your body moving, I think helps clear your mind and um, boost your um, moods, your mood levels. Right. So I, I don't know the whole science behind it, but I do know that when you're exercising and uh, your brain is fixated on the actual exercise and you kind of get a chance of clarity uh, in this stressful and age of overload uh, information, I think it's important to, to stay active and allow yourself to be present in the moment and allow yourself to clear thoughts. Is there outside of motivational podcasts and Navy SEAL motivational videos, is there like a phrase or a, a favorite quote that you have? Um, yeah. So my dad always taught me that when one door closes, another one opens, and this could be applied to almost everything right? Getting cut from sports teams or not getting the grade you wanted or, you know, plans falling through, right? It's, it's important to 
know, not fixate on the closed door, but look at the new opportunity in front of you, right? So um, kind of think of it in terms of, yeah, I may have gone through this accident, I might not be able to ever walk again, but look at the opportunity that could come from this. So always looking at the bright side of things and it's just kind of another way of saying that. You said at the beginning of the podcast that your dad was also a hockey player, correct? Because he, he got you into hockey? Yeah, he's a, he's a very big hockey fan and, and got me into the sport. It seems very much like a hockey culture quote. I really like that. And it's very true. I think there's a lot of us that spend so much time looking at what's closed or what's happened um, instead of shifting to what is possible. And mm-hmm. thank you so much for sharing that. One more question. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Like firing off the questions. Um, will you tell us about your foundation? Sure, yeah. That so I just simply saw as a lurk in your Instagram <laughs> at the top. Sorry, Ryan, I didn't mean to cut you off. Okay. Please tell us about your foundation, yes. The uh, the Strastrong Foundation started when I was in the hospital and um, they were selling, like a, pe- a group of people from Andrew that I'm, I'm close with started it. They were selling hats to raise funds for my rehabilitation needs. And over the course of the pandemic, it kind of went stale. Like it was just in a freezing moment of wasn't doing anything. So in the last about seven months, I've been working on starting it up again and allowing it to expand, right? Because I don't want this to be for me. I want it to be for others going through things with mental and physical disabilities because the cost of rehabilitation and medical supplies are, are super expensive expensive and to fund adaptive sport programs I think can open so many doorways for people because Mm -hmm. sport has opened up another doorway for me and has allowed me to kind of see the brighter side of things right so instead of focusing on physio right now I can play sports and have fun and and meet new people and all the things that I learned through hockey my past you know I guess up until this point right has taught me so many things and I think the power of sport is incredible uh, can teach so many people different things and just allow uh, for, for great memories to, to come from it. So uh, the point of the Strastrong Foundation is to basically financially support programs for adaptive sports and to apply uh, for rehabilitation grants, I guess. I love that so much. Is there an Instagram account that we could follow or that we could, a space where we could donate to or... Yeah, so on, on my uh, main personal Instagram, there's a website link there and uh, it'll tell you everything there. There's, you know, about us, there's about my story a little bit and, and what we do. So uh, all the info's there. Um, I don't know if you want to plug the, the main social media account, but it's, it's the same across all platforms. I will. I will. I'll put it in the show notes for sure. And I, I think to your point, just in regards to community, what I keep thinking about is this woman named Judith Herman. She's a renowned psychiatrist. Mm. She's a trauma psychiatrist, does, has done a lot of work in and around trauma. And she always talks about how we never heal in isolation. Mm. We always heal in community. Right. And I think sports honestly exemplifies that. Mm-hmm. Fitness, I mean, fitness in general, but sports especially really just emphasizes that we're in this together and that, you know, we shouldn't, no one should have to heal alone. That's why I'm like, I'm such a fitness enthusiast. I'm always telling people, like, if you can go to a group class or just like (laughs) get somewhere that feels safe, where there's like, you can shift or move or uh, connect with like-minded humans, you know, it, it just can really alleviate a lot of that 
heaviness that can come with any and all mental health related things. So I think it's really amazing that you've started that foundation and your story as a whole. I want to say, I know that your story is, is probably Mm. a light for a lot of people that are struggling. And I I do want to be careful with how I'm phrasing that though, because it's like with trauma survivors, there can be phrases that can come up where people are like, you're a hero. Like you're so courageous. Like you're so strong. And it's tough. It's like, well, oftentimes in the midst of so much trauma, like we don't have a choice. Like (laughs) the choice it's like this happened. And, uh, you know, like I have no choice, but to keep moving forward and, but to be strong. So I never want to like place that label on someone. Um, but I do, if there's one thing that I really do believe in, it is in the sharing of story. Like I mentioned before we press record and just creating that safety to talk about really hard stuff, really Mm -hmm. painful stuff. And to keep sharing on that note, I want to say thank you so much for continuing to share your story. Yeah. It sounds so cheesy, but I don't know. I'm just speaking from my heart. So (laughs) I just want to thank you for speaking um, vulnerably and for taking the time to connect with me today. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for being here and for joining in on this conversation. If you enjoy today's podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. And please feel free to reach out and say hello on social media. Sending lots of love.